at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, February 12th, 2024 edition. Thank you all for being here. Hope everyone had a wonderful time yesterday watching the Super Bowl. I'm sure a lot of you did, since most of America does. And great game. And I know myself, I don't have a, a dog in the fight, but it's always good to see a, a good, uh, exciting, interesting game. So that certainly was the case. And markets followed through. They did not disappoint today. They were interesting as well, which we're going to unpack at some point early in today's hour. But the whole hour is dedicated more towards you and your questions. And we play those questions and we give you our unbiased perspective developed over 20 plus years of investment experience and lots of data, hopefully actionable data for you to help make better decisions with your money. So we're going to talk about the market performance today and run down show topics. But as usual, we're going to hit our first caller question now. Hey, guys, looking at Bunge Global today, BG. Maybe it's Bungie. Not sure how you pronounce it. It's a uh, large uh, food products agricultural company. Looks like a good company. Wondering what you think. Wondering if this is a good time to buy. Listen on the podcast and appreciate all you guys do for us. Thank you. All right. Looking at Bun, I think it's Bungie. B-U-N-G-E is the how you spell the name, but the symbol is B-G. And you might be looking at this because it pays a nice 2.9% dividend yield and as a low PE ratio trailing right around six. But if you look at forward-looking earnings for this year, $9.55, and then next year, $10.30, that's more of a 9 to 10 PE ratio, which is lower than the market. But like most commodity names, and that's what this is, they process Grain seeds, oiled seeds, they produce fertilizers, edible oils, uh, etc. So they're in the ag business. And the ag business tends to be pretty low profit margin. Its operating margin is right around 4.5%, and that's historically very high. Its operating margin over the longer term averages closer to 2%. And as you'd imagine, that's a low, that's a low profit margin. And there's not a whole lot of what we call an economic mode here. They're a price taker. And so price takers, typically, they trade at low multiples. Now, this has some debt in its balance sheet, but nothing too concerning. It's times interest earned is about nine and a half. That's, that's fine. So I have no issue with that. But free cash flow, only $335 million on a $13 billion market cap. About a 3% free cash flow yield. Not amazing for something whose earnings 
are supposed to fall 30% this year, that whose revenues fell 10% last quarter, year over year. Now, what I would say is technically, it's at support. You zoom out to a weekly chart, and this is the low end of the range, basically since the beginning of 2022. So it's at support. And that's about all you can say here. It's trading at a discount for a reason. It's cheap. But it's probably cheap for a reason. So I don't hate it because it is near support. It's at a reasonable valuation. But the business, while right now the profits are high, historically profit margins or return equity is more in the high single digits, low teens, which is a fine business, but not an amazing business. And so I give this a eh. It's fine, but there's better uses of your capital in my mind. But thanks for the call. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes or so. Time permitting, we're going to touch on all of it. The main one is about oil prices. What factors will determine the movement of oil prices in 2024? Hint. Supply and demand. Supply in 2023 overshot and demand was strong, but in parts of the world, weak economies like China, for example, uh, increased skepticism that that demand will continue and that fed into prices. So we're going to touch on that. And there's a special North American factor that is soon to likely come into play and is in regards to Canada. So we're going to look at that. Also, valuations of the market. We're going to take a look at that and compare that to the MAG7. What is the P ratio of the S&P 500? If you pull out the MAG7, what is that P ratio? And then the rest of the S&P minus the MAG7. And what does that mean for forward-looking returns? Also, investors are starting to turn their eye towards the election. We are about eight months away. And, you know, there's a lot of variables about who might actually win, as well as potential third parties that could throw a wrench in things. And then what would, which, which candidate would swing market fortunes and sector fortunes going forward. So we're, last, so we're going to look at that. And then lastly, if we have time, Medicare. Medicare Advantage plans companies are starting to feel the pinch in costs and profit margins are hurting because of it. So what changes will you see going forward when it, in regards to that health insurance industry? We also have some voice bank questions. One is in regards to Adobe and Penn Entertainment. Now we're going to a short break. On the other side, we'll talk about today's market activity. Please remember you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. 
every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. I'm 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's take a quick look at your financial to-do list. At the top, make that phone call to the InvestTalk Anytime listener line. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Robertson, Robert in Pleasanton wants to look at Pfizer. You looking to buy it or short it? Uh, I was looking to buy it. It looks like it's been pretty badly beat up. And mm-hmm. um, from, what, from what I read, it sounds like they're possibly hoping uh, the future is going to better. So I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Well, since the boost from the COVID vaccines in 2022, their business has continued to deteriorate. Uh, So they made $6.58 in 2022. Last year, in 2023, $1.84. Quite a drop. Now, this year, earnings are expected to bounce back to $2.27, but those estimates continue to come down. Same for next year. And you're probably looking at that dividend yield, but I don't think they're going to continue to pay that dividend yield. Their, their payout ratio is 327%. Their cash dividend payout ratio is over 100%. So I don't think they will continue to pay that over the long term. Now, the good thing for them is their free cash flow. They made a ton of money on the, on the vaccine. But that has reversed and then some. Pre-pandemic, they made about, they're doing free cash flow at about $11, 12000000000 billion annually. And then post-COVID, during the vaccine era, $32 billion. Now down to $8.2 billion. So they actually have negative free cash flow growth over the last three years. Their business is not doing very well. And then the uptake of the boosters has been terrible, mainly because a lot, most people don't have a lot of confidence in their safety or effectiveness. And frankly, it's been pretty much shown that the boosters don't have very good effectiveness especially after six months. So people just aren't getting them. And so the downturn of the chart is very, very justifiable. Uh, And I actually think this is a wonderful short because I actually think the vaccines hurt their uh, their brand more than helped them. It was a short-term boost and that was about it. So yeah, I would run from, I've been saying this for the last couple of years, been a downtrend, trends of earnings have been a downtrend. Everything about the company is basically falling apart since the the vaccine uh, rollout. And uh, the chart just continues to reiterate that. And uh, until you see a change there, 
you have to follow that uh, that trend and it is down thanks for the call now let's take a look at the market performance for today it was a very interesting day considering large cap growth down pretty big down three quarters of one percent small cap growth up two percent pretty big dichotomy there arm holdings with a big mover up 30 percent on the day but you had some of the big tech names down tesla was down you had uh most of the mag 7 down we'll take a look here google that was down a dollar 47 apple down a dollar 64 amazon that was down two dollars and 11 cents microsoft down five dollars and 29 cents I think the only one that was up was Meta up. Meta, Meta was slightly up, 79 cents. So slightly up on the day on a $468 stock. That's pretty much uh, negligible. So uh, the the MAG-7, after being very overbought, uh, was was weak going into this week. And I've said this. There's there's uh, I said this on my video on Saturday, if you go watch our YouTube channel. It, it's there, A lot of what's driving the recent mark performance has to do with option... Uh, basically a uh, gamma hedge. Uh, there's a lot of option activity, especially on these big mag seven tech names. Uh, and what that does is it forces dealers to basically buy the underlying and it's kind of reinforcing or reflexive both ways. When things are good, it can skyrocket uh, many of these names in the near term. And when that tide turns and it goes into what we call negative gamma, meaning that the dealers are forcing, are being forced to sell the position over time that's what negative gamma is versus positive gamma is kind of what has been happening over the past couple of weeks that is forcing the dealers to buy the underlying and so as you get closer to opex into this week is option x week as you get closer to those op those options in the market that are reading trade in uh, expiring that gamma uh positive gamma situation can flip negatively uh and now one day today's one day it didn't flip negative in one day, but if you get a couple of these days in a row, especially accelerating into OPEX on Friday, that could really turn those big tech, big cap tech names, have the dealers sell off the positions uh, into that OPEX and turn the market because of how heavily weighted those big uh, growth names are to the, to the market. So something I'll be watching, but that was definitely a, a message uh, the market was sending today that... Uh, money flowing out of those growth names into the value names. And we are certainly long in the tooth uh, in that growth trade. Uh, and you could see reversal, I think, relatively near term. Uh, but we need some follow through. All right. Now we're going to move into our first break. But after the break, we are going to talk with Dan in Walnut Creek. He is asking about CCJ Kamiko, one of the largest uranium miners. So we're going to get to his call right after this break. But for, for the rest of you, I encourage you, reach out, give us a call at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Dan. He is in Walnut Creek looking at Kamiko CCJ. You looking to buy it? 
Hey, uh, Justin. No, I own it, and I also own um, Brought Physical Uranium, S-R-U-U-F. Okay. Um, and, um, last week, I think it was, uh, someone called in about a uranium stock, and um, you had mentioned that you guys own, for clients, uh, another one. Mm-hmm. So um, I was wondering, out of the one that you own and the, and the two that I have, um, you know, where mine stand with yours. I, I'm doing pretty well with, with both of the ones that I have. Yeah, Kamiko is the name that we've owned for clients for some time because we saw this kind of nuclear renaissance coming, and I still think there's more uh, more to go. Uh, it's it's, okay. it's 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 really about uh, deploying, and you know, a lot of countries are reopening plants that have been shut down, deferring, shutting down plants they had planned to shut down, and obviously China is building dozens uh, of of these plants too kind of usurp their need for coal. And uh, I think eventually we'll just event- we'll hit the, the rest of the world because of how clean and reliable as a baseload power nuclear is. So uh, you see uranium prices continue to go up. There's been a lack of uh, investment in new supply. There are a lot of exploratory companies out there that have little to no revenue and sure, if they they hit, they can be big, uh, but most of the time they don't. And when they do, uh, the results are not as robust as, as they had promised or hoped. Um, and so that's why Kamiko is to us the kind of like the, the the safest place, like the Exxon in, in the industry, uh, where they also uh, bought um, not Lexing, I'm trying to name of the, the company. It's it's it's. Uh, I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but basically, uh, it's part of the um, the turbines or, or the the uh, technology uh, that they own. Uh, some of the the reactor technology that they they purchased uh, recently out of bankruptcy. I forgot the name of the, the company, but um, so it's a bit diversified in that way as well. Um, now they did come out with their production uh, results recently, and it, it, it missed guidance. So that's why you've seen it uh, hit recently. Uh, but overall that doesn't change the proven reserves and, and the amount of uh, profits they're likely to uh, get over the coming years from higher uranium prices and uh, earnings last quarter up 133% year over year revenues up 61%. Now that's probably not going to continue at that pace. Uh, but, you know, I still think uh, it was overbought needed a pullback like this. And uh, this is probably a pretty good buying opportunity. Could it go a bit lower into the high thirties maybe, but now we're down to the mid, uh, low to mid forties. So, yeah, Kamiko is is our name. What about Sprott? What do you think about that one? It's, well, actually, that one's doing better than the um, CCJ. Uh, Sprott, you're talking about the underlying company or the Uranium Trust? Um, it's the description Sprott Physical Uranium. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's owning the underlying and. Uh, that's another re- another way that uh, the uh, to, to bet on the physical uranium. Um, they buy it. They buy actually uranium uh, when this is trading at a premium, uh, and uh, this is actually positive just for the general uh, uranium market to have this in place. Uh, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't own this. Not, not bad. Um, just for us, uh, we think that owning Kamiko has better upside. There's better operating leverage for owning a miner versus the the underlying. And so we like that operating leverage. Okay. 
Okay, great. Thanks very much for your help. I appreciate it. And my best to Steve, okay? All right. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Now, let's talk a little about the oil markets. And oil was down a bit, not dramatically last year, but certainly disappointed compared to 2022 when oil prices were very strong. And there were a couple of factors that really weighed on oil prices into 2023. And the main one was surging U.S. production. And that's on the supply side. Then there's demand side, which is Chinese demand. And obviously, the Chinese economy continues to struggle. And the big question is, how will that evolve throughout this year? Now, the U.S. grew about a million barrels of supply last year. And the expectation this year is for that to grow only about four to 600,000 barrels. So uh, we will continue to increase supply to record amounts. We're at record production now, uh, but it'll probably be at a slower pace. Now, demand is also likely to increase as well at about 1.3 to 1.6 million barrels a day of demand growth. And, and we saw demand growth continue throughout 2023 and likely will Beat this year. And, and a lot of the demand side that's factoring into prices right now has more to do with sentiment as opposed to actual demand. I mean, sentiment around worries over China and their, their, their use of, uh, of oil. But their latest stimulus says that they're actually going to, at least near term, probably uh, do some things to juice the economy, juice the markets, uh, and uh, thus juice oil demand. And then the, the, I think the, another factor that is not being considered is the SPR. It looks like the government is becoming a little more active to try to refill that. And those commitments could continue throughout the year and bring an unexpected boost to demand. So uh, I wanted to touch on that as we color uh, our next topic after the break. And that is in regards to the Canadian oil market and how that will play into prices throughout this year. I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. 
Now, before the break, I touched on the supply demand factors influencing oil prices more broadly. But there's an interesting new wrinkle in the North American market that is set to come on on stream here in the middle part of this year. And it has to do with Canada. Now, a lot of Canadian a lot of Canadian oil is landlocked, meaning yeah, they can produce a ton of it, but their ability to sell it is very limited. Mainly it goes through pipelines in the Midwest and sometimes all the way down to the Gulf Coast where it is refined. And this has actually depressed prices of oil in the Midwest for decades now because Canadian companies, they have no choice but to take less from U.S. buyers because they have no way of efficiently transporting it in other ways besides through these pipelines. But there is a new expansion to an existing pipeline, the Trans Mountain Expansion, and it will nearly triple the capacity of an existing pipeline to 200, to 890,000 barrels a day out to the West Coast. And this will allow traders to sell more oil to the U.S. West Coast and to Asian economies. And this has been in the works for about a decade now. And Canada is the fourth largest oil producer in the world. And this is going to give them much better access to the international markets. Now, imports from Canada to the U.S. passed 4 million barrels a day per month, a day uh, late last year. And that's nearly two-thirds of all total imports in the United States. Now, benchmark Canadian crude costs about $18 a barrel less than U.S. counterparts. And that fluctuates. It went as high as $47 in 2018. And that actually forced the government of Alberta to curtail production. And so while there are some still hiccups and uh, things that need to get done for this final uh, stretch to be approved and, 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 and get running, uh, it's likely to have a material impact on the North American oil market. And be positive for Canadian producers because now they have other options. And so what will that incentivize them to do? That'll actually incentivize them to drill more, right? Because they're, they're getting higher actualized price and it will hurt more domestically, you know, U.S. focused uh, drillers. To a degree, especially those that sell into the Midwest. So I want to highlight that because, you know, what oil companies are you looking at, especially the smaller names? What areas of the country are they focused? And it also goes back to how little does everyone blames politicians for oil prices going up or down. And reality is, things like this, this has been going on for a decade. It's going to have an impact. Very few politicians today 
even, you know, or even in office that uh, were around back then. And obviously, this is a Canadian thing. So U.S. politicians have nothing to do with it. Okay. So it's uh, interesting to kind of see this potential sea change in the North American oil markets. Now, let's pivot back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier on 888 chart. Hey, Steve, Justin, and Luke. This is Ryan from New Jersey. Thoughts and prayers out to Steve. We're all wishing you a safe and quick and healthy recovery. My question today was around, you know, stocks. I currently own Penn Entertainment, ticker symbol P-E-N-N. It's about 3% of my portfolio. But the fundamentals don't necessarily look ideal from what I see. I was looking alternatively at Monarch Casino, which is M-C-R-I. It has return on equity over 15%, low debt compared to a lot of other casino stocks, good PE ratio. A lot of the multiples are trading below what it has been over the past few years from what I can see. And I was thinking, should I maybe sell out a pen and sell and, and buy Monarch? I just want to know your thoughts about this potential trade as well as your thoughts overall on any casino stocks. If there's any other alternatives, or should I just stay away from this or industry as a whole? Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, it's a good industry to be in as long as people have a few dollars in their pockets. They travel regularly to those areas. Well, then uh, they're they're probably going to gamble. And Monarch Casinos is a uh, runs two casinos. One in looks like Blackhawk, uh, Nevada, and the other is in Reno, Reno, Nevada, which is the Atlantis casino there. And so it's a small cap name, you know, as you would imagine, just running those two casinos, it's about a billion dollar market cap. Whereas Penn, they have, uh, they're more regional casinos, uh, about three times the size, three and a half billion dollar market cap here. Their businesses up and down, they were infamous of buying into Barstool Sports and then that, uh, didn't go very well. And so I believe the recent quarter they wrote off uh, that purchase and that was a big loss. Uh, so you kind of have to look at their earnings in context to their cash flow more than anything because that was more of a, a write off, a, a non cash item, shall we say. Whereas from, from a free cash flow yield pers- uh, perspective, they have similar valuations. Penn has. It looks like a, a little more debt in its balance sheet, so that's a bit of a worry. But both are are solid uh, businesses. Penn takes more risk, but it's a bit more diversified as well. Um, but I I do like the long term consistency of Monarch. Uh, it's just you don't have much upside there because of the limited footprints, and they're going to be very at the whims of those couple of casinos that they they operate. So I don't think either of these, frankly, uh, would be at the top of my list of the casino casinos that are out there. I do like that these are domestically focused and not focused on Macau. I don't like those that are uh, have so much exposure to Macau and thus China. Um, so that's a positive for both of these. Uh, but I'd be looking for ones that have better longer-term track records, a little bit more diversified in uh, the number of casinos that they operate and have better long-term track records. So uh, I would keep looking, frankly. Now, the next invest talk, I'll look into this question. Could the institutional private equity push leave investors with scraps? That's coming up tomorrow. But for now, 
Let's go with an iTunes review question. John D. from Massachusetts says, please tell me what you think about TransOcean, R-I-G, as an investment in the energy sector. And this one's pretty simple. It's historically been a fairly poorly run offshore oil company. It has the name TransOcean. It used to be big. But if you look at its long-term profitability, it's been pretty bad. And, you know, deep, deep water offshore oil rigs, they are very expensive to run. And therefore, if oil prices are not very high, their profit margins are very low. The way that I look at most of these offshore oil companies is that this is about as leveraged of a play as you can get. Meaning if oil prices take off from here, meaning they head back towards $100 a barrel, rig and uh, and all the other oil, offshore oil companies, uh, Valeris, these are all companies that are going to go gangbusters because suddenly they're going to go from marginal to poor businesses to very profitable. They have very high, what we call operating leverage. And if that's what you're trying to bet on, then offshore is the way to go. But rig is probably not my number one play, like I've said. You have to look at the other offshore names. Valeris is one. There are others uh, that typically have better profitability and less debt. Well, once again, or maybe you want a lot of debt because of that's another uh, aspect of leverage that it gives you as an investor. So that's what this is. This would be a vehicle for trade on the potential for oil prices to go back towards and above $100 a barrel. But as a long-term play, long-term buy and hold, this is not what you want to own. Not what you want to own because of that long-term low profit margin and high debt. Thanks for the call. Now let's talk about the MAG7 and the S&P valuation. Now I think it's pretty clear. Valuations of those big tech names, they're very high. A lot of this is market structure, the fact that everyone's indexing and no one's even thinking about Profit, right? They're just oh S and P buy. There's a robo advisor or some app that they're using, um, and they're just indexing, and that's money uh, flowing into these vehicles. They're in their 401k or 403b, and they're using uh, uh, some sort of index fund, and that's money naturally flowing. And when that happens, it kind of accentuates the moves because. As companies get bigger, they get more sense of every dollar that people put into these funds. And that's why, how you were getting this big divergence between the rest of the market and those mega cap names. Now, if you use a what we call harmonic mean, mean, harmonic mean of the valuations of the S&P versus the rest of the market, you'll find that the MAG7 has a P ratio of about 31 on average. And the rest of the S&P has a P ratio of about 19. So over a 50% premium that these names are trading at. Now that varies depending on what name you're talking about. Obviously, NVIDIA's is much higher than, say, Apple's. 
but NVIDIA has better growth right now than, than Apple's. But Apple has safer business than NVIDIA. The three that look the most expensive would definitely be NVIDIA, Microsoft, and Tesla. Amazon and Apple, kind of hard to say because, once again, Apple has low growth, so it probably shouldn't trade at that high of a premium, but it also has a very good business. So in some ways, that does deserve a bit of a premium. Amazon, its business is a bit more murky. It kind of ebbs and flows based on the cost of shipping, for example. Uh, and they all, in some way, shape, or form, have regulatory risk overhanging them. So that should probably bring down their premium to some degree. But it's pretty clear that this is becoming similar to 2000, shall we say? Especially if you look at, say, Cisco and NVIDIA. Very similar type of price action and valuations. In fact, NVIDIA is trading at a higher multiple uh, than NVIDIA or Cisco ever did. But it's pretty clear that if you look at the S&P more broadly, with the MAG7 included, eh, you know, its earnings yield is around 5%. The two-year treasury yields are around four and a half percent, so the risk premium is not that high. If you take out the Mag Seven, proves a little bit, but still, not that high, right? But then, if what if your portfolio is heavily weighted towards the Mag Seven? Suddenly, your earnings yield is less than the two-year treasury yield. You have a negative risk premium, which is almost never a good thing. So I wanted to highlight that just to kind of give you that perspective. But know that valuations are terrible timing mechanisms. You never want to use valuations to say, oh, what's going to happen over the next month or two or even the next year. It's more of a five, seven, 10 year view. Because when the... Financial gravity takes hold is always difficult to know exactly. Those invest talk now with more than 57 million downloads. Here comes another listener question from 888.99 chart. Hi, Stephen, Justin. This is James from Brooklyn, New York. I had a question about Adobe and I was wondering what you thought about the company and is this a good entry? Thank you for all you do. Have a great day. Out here. It basically has gone nowhere since the end of November. And today, down 15 bucks over 2% with the market uh, up overall. The multiples that, that Adobe is trading at are, are very high. 39 times forward-looking earnings. And earnings this year are supposed to fall 6%. And earnings only supposed to go up 5% next year. So why is this trading at a multiple of double the market? Doesn't make sense. This needs to come down dramatically. It's into resistance. This is, a, I think, actually a good short the location to get in. If this gets back down to, you know, the mid 300s at 611 now, uh, then that's when I would think about buying this, but not until sub 400, I even think about this. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here, to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. 
In today's market, more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance because it can help you achieve financial freedom. Well, you've come to the right place. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. With Dr. Joe in San Francisco looking at CVS. Yeah, I have a question on CVS. Looks like it's uh, maybe forming a base here or like a maybe cup and handle. Yeah. Can you comment on it? Yeah, uh, technically, it's definitely firming up here, making now higher highs and higher lows. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an uptrend. Uh, so the the fundamentals remain strong. Earnings are supposed to grow eleven percent next year. Revenues last quarter up twelve percent. Earnings up four percent year over year. So it's not a fast grower, but certainly strong profitability. Uh, recent results out of Humana and a lot of the other Medicare health insurers has. Uh, it's weighed on uh, profits on that segment, uh, but it's still profitable uh, for them and, and based on their latest earnings announcements. And obviously, people are still spending at their, their drugstores. So uh, I, I think technicals and fundamentals continue to line up well for CVS. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's talk about the election just about 10 months away. Or sorry, eight, uh, nine months away? Nine months away. There we go. And... I thought it was interesting. The Super Bowl yesterday, we had an RFK ad, RFK Jr. ad. That was uh, interesting. And that could throw a wrench into a race that is increasingly contentious. And there's a lot of variables that are being thrown around here. Obviously, you have Trump's legal woes. You have Biden and uh, the age concerns. Uh, There's actually an interesting site that I I kind of follow just to see kind of where the money is flowing. It's called predicted.com. And over the past month, the actually, I would say the past week it's been, Biden's odds have gone down and Newsom's odds have doubled, which is pretty interesting. Now, double from a low level, but that was an interesting little trend there. So there's a lot of variables that are in place here that the market is, is following, following. Usually they don't pay attention until September, right, when the, the actual elections within a couple months. But now, because of these these many, many variables, there are a lot of potential outcomes that will drive markets in both directions and drive sectors in both directions. Uh, Trump has floated higher tariffs on China, so that is one factor potentially for recent sell-off in Chinese stocks in addition to their other woes. Uh, that could be perceived as inflationary. So does that put pressure on the bond market, for example? What would a red wave do if Trump won and maybe uh, Republicans strengthen their their seats in Congress? Well, that'd probably mean a hit to oil demand and higher supply. So oil prices would probably go lower. And then there's the fact that Trump said, he would not reappoint Jay Powell. What would that do to the treasury market, which is increasingly volatile because of the amount of debt that we have? And that's another variable that has to be considered is how would each administration or maybe even a Kennedy administration, how would they handle the, the national debt? Um, so it, it's just, while it's a, in some ways a stressful, I, I guess, situation uh, it's a unique one in the fact that it's not straightforward 
two two candidates, both you know late seventies, early eighties. Uh, a third party that is now in many states polling at over twenty percent. Six out of ten Americans don't want either Trump or Biden. So you know, what does that mean for their ultimate decision making? And what does that mean for the strength of the premium that the rest of the world has put on U.S. stocks, right? If there's some sort of outcome of the election that is contentious, even more contentious than the last one, does the stability of our our democracy come into question? And... If you look at the premium that U.S. companies have compared to the rest of the world, that's certainly part of that premium. And so that is a fact that could swing in the balance as well. So we'll, we'll definitely be talking about this. You know, obviously, this isn't a political show. We don't get too political, but we do have to discuss it because it does affect the economy and those markets. And so we're starting to really get into this because it's uh it's going to have an impact one way or another i'm justin klein this completes another invest talk program we thank you for listening we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads which you can find anytime at itunes spotify google play and be sure to rate and review on itunes as well independent thinking shared success this is invest talk good night invest talk is a trademark of kpp financial because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.